first patient we ever saw, 17, 18, right around there, she had pneumonia. I said, I'd love to see her, but I suspect pneumonia, and I'll call ahead to the ER, make sure that they clear the path for her and get her in there. And so they, she went to the ER, ended up having pneumonia, so they treated her for that. And later on, uh, about four days later, she developed swelling around her eyes. So I went to see her, and I said, well, it may be an allergic reaction from the medication. It may be something that you got going on. And so I prescribed her some steroids. It went right down. And then four days later, it came right back up. And I went and looked at her. Her eyes did not look right to me at all. Something, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And they were back home in North Carolina. I said, you guys need to get her to the emergency department because there's something else going on here. She ended up having Wagner's granulomatosis. That's Never crazy. seen it before in my life. They caught it early enough so that she didn't have any damage to her kidneys or any of her other organs. It was just it affected her eyes. So she's on a long-term immunoglobulin and steroids. But it was wow. a wild case. Did they first, do a biopsy? Is that how they... they did a biopsy, yep. Started, that's when she started. That with. was my first case. <laughs> wow. Easy peasy, no big deal. Really, really want to highlight on the fact that you're doing amazing things in the field as a PA by okay. having your own practice and doing this and then a little bit sure. about the medicine and then sure. probably about where your, your future plans are. Hi, and welcome to Where the White Coats Come Off. Today, our guest is going to be Mike Petrillo. So we have known Mike actually for years. He's an amazing PA, super inspiring. He has a long history of working in the ER, and recently he's actually started his own business. So we're gonna get all those details in just a little bit. Um, so we are so proud and so excited to have Mike on our podcast. He's one of those PAs that are trailblazing and then are doing amazing things for the field. Um, everybody, when they come out of graduation, I always think, what, I want, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And most people think I'm going to be employed by a hospital. I'm going to be employed by a physician, et cetera. But there are some amazing people like Mike who are going out there and kind of creating their own niche. Michael, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, where you were from, and uh, some of your background. Sure, absolutely. So, well, thank you. It's First of all, it's an honor to be on your podcast here. And again, known you guys for a long time, and uh, we share right. a lot of similar goals, so it's pretty cool. So I was actually raised in Michigan, and when my wife and I had been married for a few years, she said, do you want to be happily married? And I said, I would really prefer to be happily married. And she said, get <laughs> me out of Michigan. Um, and so we happy then moved. Life, happy life. Yes, exactly. And then we moved down to the uh, down to the south, and we've been in the south ever since. Now, you didn't come into PA straight away, right? You have a no. backstory about, like, you owned a, a different business, and you sold it, or how you found out about the PA career and why you switched gears and how that Absolutely. Happened. So we had a couple of printing companies uh, in South Carolina, and we were one of those companies that we were innovators. We were one of the first printing companies to go fully green. So all of our inks were soybean-based, soybean and we got rid of all of our harsh chemicals. We had some of the first digital presses in operation. Sold the company in 2008, just before the bottom dropped out of the market. We are very, very fortunate to have done so. My wife, who is a nurse, had worked with a PA, and that was my first introduction to a PA up in Michigan. He was a very kind man, and he spent a lot more time with his patients than the doctor who was in the practice. I was first very drawn to him because he had an excellent bedside manner, and I said, wow, I would love to be able to do that. I just don't think I have the capability to do that. So after we sold our business, we were kind of looking at what we wanted to do. And after we went 
through the sale of the business. I was a pilot at the time. We flew emergency ambulance, air ambulance for the country of Belize for about six months. We lived down there. It was a great experience, but one of the paramedics said, hey, you should come and renew your basic life support. And I said, sure, I'll go do that. So I went through the basic life support and he said, why don't you join us for the ACLS? And I took one look. Oh, absolutely. I took one look at that ACLS book and I said, there is no way I can master this material enough to pass this class. And I fell in love with it. And from then on, it was all, all I could study was anything related to medicine. I wanted to learn anything I possibly could. I actually never completed my undergraduate degree. I went back and completed my undergraduate degree and I did it in one year and four months flat, which I don't recommend doing. Wow. Because yeah. I went to four different schools and had everything transferred to the school that I graduated from. And I was a 4.0 at my graduation and applied to about seven PA schools because I thought there's no way that any PA school is going to accept me. And I got accepted to every single one of them except one. Wow. <laughs> that is awesome. Wow. Man. Where were you so, located at the time? So at the time, we were living in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Okay. And I chose Medical University of South Carolina as my school because of in-state tuition, and I liked the program. I actually knew some of the nurses that were there and a couple of the PAs because in 2010, when the earthquake in Haiti happened, I flew the first orthopedic surgery team down to Haiti. Spent a week there, and then we would fly subsequent teams from Medical University of South Carolina every week to have a continuum of care. Wow. I, I think it's so interesting that ACLS is the one thing, you know, most people were like, oh, I got to renew ACLS, but you were like, oh man, after that, like, it was all uphill from there. And wow. it was, it was a lot less watered down than it is now, by the way. There were about three times as many drugs that we had to learn than, than you do now. Well, wow. you can tell your passion was there because someone who's going to go back and complete undergrad just so they can get into BA school is right. dedicated. Yes, that's some yes. tenacity right there. That is yes. some tenacity. I love that. So listeners, if you're listening, that's the kind of stuff it takes. That yes, is I had a timeline. Five-year plan right there. <laughs> yep. Love it. Exactly. So we have a lot of non-traditional and second career listeners. What advice do you have for them? I probably could not have performed as well as I did in PA school when I was in my 20s because my dedication just was not there. For me, it was a lot, I felt it was a lot easier. Now, mind you, I never studied in undergrad, ever, straight 4.0. So I did not know how to study when I came into PA school. Mm, yeah. And that was one of the biggest hurdles that I had to overcome was, was learning study habits, which I never had to perfect. And I went through several, several different models before I found one that I landed on that I felt would be successful for me. And I think that everybody learns a little bit different. And I think you have to learn what your study model is that best suits you and helps you retain the material. Yeah, we hear that from students a lot that, hey, I didn't really have to study in undergrad. So now that I have to study, I'm not really sure how. So how did you go about doing that? Did you just test different things? Did you... Have the, an idea where to start? Did you the first thing I did was I went to, around to the professors that I trusted and that I looked up to, and I said, how did you study? And I took tips from each one of them, and I learned which tips worked for me. And for me, personally, 
I went and I would study till 11 o'clock or midnight at the library every single night. I had no personal life and I felt that would help me to absorb the material better. I was wrong. By the time of my, I would say second and third, or third and fourth actually, didactic semester, I learned that it would it was better for me if I studied until about eight or nine o'clock and then stopped and didn't continue on past that. Give yourself a break, your mind a break. Exactly. And my grades actually went up in PA school when I stopped spending till midnight in the library. And you were married at this time, right? Yes. And that was the other big challenge because nobody prepares students for how spouses will react to you being suddenly pulled apart and you're spending almost every waking hour studying. I think that's one of the biggest shortfalls of the PA programs is not preparing spouses for what's really to come. Yeah, and that's a big thing, too, whether it be spouses or significant others or even family members. Did you guys sit down and have a conversation? Obviously, she's a nurse, and so she understands kind of the healthcare role. Yeah. Um, was it something you guys decided together, or, or did it just kind of organically come about? How did, how did she deal with that? This was evolving because we had many conversations, and I tried my best to give her the attention that she deserves and needs, but at the same token, I knew I had to devote myself to studying this material which, as both you ladies know, it's like drinking water through a fire hose. So much, yeah. 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 That's awesome that you had a supportive spouse. And, um, yes. I just think that's, that's absolutely wonderful because that can really help make things, uh, you know, at least a little bit easier if you have someone you know who believes in you and a good support system. It totally absolutely. makes it breaks the relationship. For it sure. does. And yeah. we had several couples in my class that divorced after PA school because they could not find that balance. Yeah. Okay, so you got into PA school. You got yes. through PA school. Yes. What was your first position? First position was an emergency medicine PA, and it was a little rural hospital, and it was basically double coverage. So it was 12 hours of PA coverage and 24 hours of physician coverage. I was thrown into the wolves, basically. So how terrified were you, and how long did that last? It was very terrifying. Overwhelming. But yes. the thing is, you don't know what you don't know. And I know we throw that term around a lot, but you have to learn to rely on your attending and those who are more experienced to be able to ask some questions. And if you're not in that type of environment, it can quickly overwhelm you. Yeah. I mean, that's for sure. Especially in the ER, we just really never know what's going to walk through that door. But that's what I love about it. <laughs> so what was your, besides that, what else did you like about being an ERPA? I, and I'm still, I still work in the emergency department, PRN, and I like exactly what you guys just said, that you never know what's going to walk in the door. I might be dealing with a heart attack one minute, and I might be pulling a bead out of a, out of a child's nose the next minute. That's what I love about it. And I can also be creative, because there's some things in the ER, especially when it comes to orthopedics and certain types of lacerations. You have to kind of be able to adapt your technique. For sure. So now that you've moved on from the ER, you have this mobile urgent care. Can you kind of tell the listeners a little bit about what that is, how you're doing that? I mean, we want to hear all about this. Absolutely. So we developed this concept because during COVID, a lot of people did not want to go to the emergency department. Our numbers plummeted in the ER. They didn't want to go to their physician's office and get sure. treated. And so we developed this concept 
and we bought a, a used type two ambulance, which suits our purposes wonderfully. So we have lots of storage spaces for all of our instruments, gear, medicines, and we will basically a patient will call us and say, hey, I've got an earache. We'll give them a time of arrival and then we'll show up. The nurse will do the vital signs and, and get the patient all registered. We have an EMR on an iPad so we can take their picture. We can take a picture of their driver's license and I will examine the patient, treat them. We keep a variety of medications on board. We have multiple tests on board, including we are now testing for rapid COVID as well as the COVID antibodies on board. And that is wildly popular right now. We're in a tourist area. And so normally in the wintertime, our business would just die off. But we are so busy, we can't manage it right now. So are you cash-based or insurance-based? We or? are cash-based. We do not accept any insurance at all because the insurance companies have made it increasingly difficult to get reimbursements. And we decided when we started this that we were going to step away from that model and do the direct pay urgent care model. Our office visit is very reasonable. It's only $85 during normal business hours, which are Monday through Saturday. And then it goes up slightly on Sunday and slightly after eight o'clock at night. But we're able to perform all these tests on the patients. We have ultrasound on board. I have a mobile x-ray service that if the patient, I feel they need an x-ray, they will come right out to their house and they do accept the patient's insurance. They'll perform the x-ray and then send me the read. So it's a great synergy and it's been very efficient. What was the genesis of this? I'm going to have a mobile urgent care because it's, it's so interesting and it makes so much sense, but there's just not anybody else doing it. So what made you think, hey, this is something I need to get into? There are several companies that are actually doing it and it's becoming, it's becoming more and more prevalent now. Our cash-based model is a little bit different, but the feeling was, well, these people don't want to leave their homes, but they still need medical care. I would say 75 to 80% of our patients have insurance and they don't care. They say, this is just such a wonderful idea. They feel safer. It's easier for them to wait in their living room than wait in a crowded waiting room. And so they, they enjoy it and we're able to treat them in a relaxed state as opposed to the ER or an urgent care where you're trying to railroad them through and see a bunch of patients. I can sit down and I can explain treatment plans with patients. Uh, we had the unfortunate situation. We've had a, had a lady that we've been treating for diarrhea. Unfortunately, it came to the point where we needed to send her to the hospital and it ends up she has metastatic liver cancer. And so it's much more comfortable to talk to the patient about that in their living room than to, than to have that in a clinical environment, which some, sometimes could be very cold. And you're able to explain that to the family. You're able to listen to questions from the family. And so that's been one of the greatest things for us. And some of the saves that we've had where we've caught very dangerous conditions, people just love the service. Our own ER will refer folks to us love what you're doing yes. it is absolutely incredible and i bet uh, all those other companies that are doing that are not pa owned that's PA. correct that's that correct. is amazing so you're a pa that yes. not only starts this innovative business but you own the practice so tell us a little bit about that in your state so it's state dependent in south carolina it's a little bit tricky because south carolina has a long way to go with recognizing PA capabilities. We just went through a recent 
Practice Act revision this past year, which was a good thing. Um, I still have an, a, a collaborating physician. They call it a supervising physician in South Carolina, but it's a collaborating physician that I'm able to call if I need to. And he and I have been friends and have been uh, business partners for years. And so it's a great relationship. He trusts me. I trust him. And quite honestly, he calls me a lot more on clinical questions than I call him. We started no business too, but our business is not so healthcare related. Like right. if, if the listeners are interesting, hey, maybe someday I want to have my own business as a PA, just maybe some basic steps that you can go through and how much time it took you and kind of how you navigated the crazy kind of business world. Because we know you're in medicine, but you still have to check all those boxes. for. Oh, for yes. It is very detail oriented in terms of how you go about starting a healthcare business. There are lots of rules and regulations. The rules and regulations that we have are a little bit, because we're a smaller company, we're not under a lot of DHEC or Department of Health in South Carolina regulations. We okay. still have to be able to be CLIA waived. So we have to, we have to apply for a CLIA waiver license. We have to apply for a state license. There's a lot of things that we have to do. We have to have our business. You have to have your business license in the municipalities that you're working in. There's all sorts of things to consider. Taxes, of course, because remember, because I'm not being paid by an organization, I have to pull out my own income taxes, my own sales tax, all that, all those come into factor. I have an advantage because I owned a business prior to being in medicine. So I know how to navigate some of those things. Mm. But the first thing is make sure you're clinically competent because I don't know of a single PA, nurse practitioner, or even physician for the most part that should have their own practice after graduation or the first year after graduation or two years after graduation. Because again, you need to build that clinical competence to be able to I'm, I'm basically autonomous other than I have somebody I can, uh, I can ask if I have a question and he can review my charts that he feels necessary to review. Other than that, I'm on my own. Yeah, that's a good point that you make that it's not something that's going to happen right away, but after right. you get enough under your belt that you feel super confident because you're right, cell phone call away, well, that doesn't help you sometimes in the moment. <laughs> Especially if you're dealing with somebody who's having chest pain and you hook them up to an EKG and they're showing an, an MI. Uh, those, those are things that you have to be able to recognize now very, very quickly. Our first MI that we had on the truck, I called one of our level one trauma centers and explained that I was sending an MI over and the, I text the, the EKG to the cardiologist and he basically blew me off and said, this is not an MI, it's, it's just a, a factor on the EKG or it's the way the leads were put on. Well, I explained that I felt it was important enough to, to send it over there. The lady, in fact, did end up having an MI, and it was a 90% blockage of the LED. So Ooh. these are things that you have to be confident, and not only confident in what your abilities are, but be able to argue and make sure that your patient is taken care of. Advocate for your patient. Switching gears a little bit, you've also worked at a PA program as a professor and faculty member. Do you have any advice or kind of words of wisdom for those students who are still trying to get in PA school or maybe are in PA school and are struggling? Yes. So PA school, I think one of the biggest challenges, there are several challenges to PA school. The first one is obviously getting in. 
and make sure that your grades are up to the standards of the program that you're applying to is the number one thing. When we would review applications, it amazed me how many people never even met our minimum standards and yet applied to a PA program. To me, that looks really bad as somebody who's saying, should I give this person a chance at PA school? So make sure that your grades are up to snuff. If you have a poor grade or even a mediocre grade in a class, retake it. Get that grade up. Show that you've got that effort. There's a young man that I've mentored over the years, and he is actually getting ready to embark on his clinical rotations right now, but he had subterranean grades all through his undergrad. And he got his first master's degree, and he finally got his life straightened out. We spent many hours on the phone, and his grades just went up dramatically. No PA would touch him because of his poor undergrad grades. He finally found a PA program that would take him, and he's doing remarkable. In fact, he's 4.0 in his didactic year, getting ready to embark on his clinical year. And so he's actually going to be rotating with me on the truck and in the emergency department. It is very important you keep your grades up. Make your application attractive to the, the folks that are looking at it. Very, very important. And then make sure that your personal statement has been reviewed by several people to, that are qualified to review it. And that's one of the biggest things. And you ladies can attest to this. We've seen some atrocious personal statements. Okay? <laughs> and I don't know if you guys offer that service to, to your folks, but we do. Excellent. Let them see your personal statement because that's going to make or break because sometimes that's all we have the time to read is your personal statement and your basic grades. And that's where your personality can come through. Absolutely. I love it. So never give up. It's something you really want to do like your friend, but you also have to put the work in. You can't just right. say, oh, I want it to happen someday and it will. You have to put the work in, nope. you have to make a plan, and then you have to go for it. That's right. That's exactly right. Looking back to PA school from wow. where you are now, <laughs> what do you wish you would have known all those years ago? All right. I'm vibing you ladies a couple things right now, and I think you know what I'm vibing you right now. But anyway... I think, again, I would have, I wished that Michelle, my spouse, and I would have been better prepared to understand the challenges of PA school. I wish that in undergrad, I would have developed study habits that I could have taken with me, and that would have eased my transition into PA school. I really can't say that I would have changed anything about my life after PA school after graduation because I tell students all the time you're going to blink and you're going to be done with your didactic year you're going to blink again and you're going to be done with your clinical year you're going to blink again and you're going to be done with your first year as a PA it goes by so fast and nobody believes us when we tell them that but it's the truth so true. yeah so true I remember walking down the aisle at graduation going wait a minute, they're actually going to let me see patients on my own now? <laughs> right? They got real, real fast. Yes. Oh, big time. Big time. And that first patient that I walked into the room in the emergency department, my palms were so sweaty, and I can guarantee you that my physical exam was horrible. I would have failed any of our OSCEs, I'm sure. But again, and, and this is, I think this is the key. You'll know you're competent, not when you know you're competent, but when those around you who are more experienced express to you that you're competent. I hope I'm explaining that that well, but yes, 
perfect. Yeah. It's going to come from the outside. They're going to yes. let you know. Yes. Exactly. Sometimes not in words, but just in subtle ways by giving you more permission or giving right. you more uh, autonomy. That right. Kind of exactly. And honestly, when you feel like you're totally competent and you don't have just a little bit of that fear factor, it's actually when you're most dangerous. That is exactly correct. I tell Michelle all the time, the day that I stop being afraid when I fly an airplane is the day I'm going to stop flying an airplane. And the same is true in medicine. That's so mature. And that's, I think, what some people don't don't realize. You know, they think, oh, after PA school, this is great. I'm going to study for 27 months and I'm going to be done. But they don't realize that pharmacology changes, what, 20% every year? <laughs> Absolutely. Classes, that new tests, and even or, new diagnosis. Yeah, and people don't present like a textbook. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's I think one of the things that intrigues us about medicine is that it's always changing, and you do have to keep up. So, what about your future? So we talked about your past. We talked about what you're doing right now. What are your plans, goals, dreams, hopes for the future? Well, right now we are very pleased at the direction the mobile urgent care is going, and we are we just purchased a second truck about three days ago. And we're getting that outfitted, and we're going to be on the hunt for a new PA to be able to join us in this uh, in this endeavor. So we're excited about that. Oh, that is so exciting. Yeah. So are you thinking franchise? Are you thinking keep it small? Just what do you think? We, we really have talked about that. We've really wrestled with that. We want to keep it small. We do not want to branch out. To, our patients love us. They're very skeptical because this is new. When we right. walk in the door, the patients love us. I text every single one of my patients the following day and say, how are you doing? Are you doing better? Are you doing worse? What do we need to change? What can I do for you today? And patients are not used to that. They're used to being funneled in and out of a a physician's office in eight minutes, which is the average time for a primary care exam. So we're we're changing this dramatically. That's awesome. I just know that I have a grandma who is um, not very mobile and that if we could have her doctor come to her when she was having heart trouble or trouble breathing. I mean, it would just be so much easier for her. Yes. Because yes. She's unable to get there herself and it's a big ordeal and she doesn't want to bother people. So she doesn't want to go. Um, right. So I just think that that's just an amazing service, especially for your patients that are either afraid to get out because of COVID or whatever reason, or just those that are less mobile and they just maybe wouldn't go if they, right. if they couldn't get out. So that's amazing. Well, and the other, the other part of the equation is, as I mentioned before, we're in a resort area. And people that are on vacation, they don't want to take the time to go to the doctor's office when Johnny's ear is hurting him. And so they yeah. love it that we'll come there. They can be eating their lunch. Most of the time they'll offer us drinks or lunch or whatever <laughs> we whatever we want. And of course we we politely turn it down, but because we're there for a purpose, but we don't we don't have to interrupt their vacation. We can be a part of their vacation. That is incredible. That is incredible. So Michael, you're doing amazing, amazing things professionally. So what do you do when the white coat comes off? So as I mentioned before, I love to fly. Uh, we have a small four-seat airplane, and we used to use it for uh, international medical missions. We do a mission trip every year to Belize, Central America. Now, that kind of is still the white coat is still on, but I still love to fly outside <laughs> of medical missions as well. We are avid scuba divers. So we do a lot of scuba diving. We've been uh, we've been kind of uh, shy this year just because we've been so busy with the truck. It's been very difficult to get away on a vacation. And then I love to uh, love to walk the beach. We're right here at the beach, so I love to walk and sit at the beach and look for shark's teeth and other things down here. I think that's funny. You like to be in the sky or in the water. Like yes, <laughs> yes. 
know? the two places that cell phones can't go yet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I've heard there's a good diving in Fiji, so that's a lot. Oh, lovely. Fiji is Fiji is wonderful diving. Amazing. Yes. Thank you so much for being part of our podcast. Yes. Thank you. My uh, pleasure. Michael Petrillo, and if the uh, if any readers or listeners want to kind of know what you're up to, do you have a website or something they could go to? Absolutely. Our website is www.mobileurgent.care. Instead of .com, it's .care. I think that's really sweet. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then any last words of wisdom, anything you want to say? It does get better. <laughs> it does. It does because students are in, right? Students are in misery during PA school, but it does get better. You blink and it's over. It's so true. <laughs> Only someone who has gone through it can know that that's exactly what people need to hear. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much yes. for being on our podcast and we can't wait to check back in with you, see what amazing things are happening and stay safe. Will do. Thank you so much, ladies, for allowing me to join you guys. Great thank to see you. you.